Well, this morning we are picking up on a series that we've been in called Growing Pains. Uh, We've been looking straight through the uh, book of 1 Corinthians and seeing how there's there's different metrics of maturity for the Christian life. And 1 Corinthians is a letter that's written to a, a pretty immature group of believers to encourage them and to point out and to show what it looks like to to grow spiritually, to grow up. And uh, this morning, the passage that we're in is going to take us to a place that, um, well, it's a place where sermons seldom dare to go, I have to say. Um, We're going to be invited this morning into the master bedroom uh, to talk about intimate issues between husband and wife. And uh, that's kind of where we've come to. And, you know, when you get a, a cup of coffee from McDonald's, there's, there's this little warning label on it that says, caution, contents are hot. And uh, that label may apply to the message and the passage we're looking at this morning, but maybe in a, in a slightly different way. And uh, to just kind of start out and get it off, uh, kind of address the kind of the elephant in the room, right? Uh, honestly, when you address topics like this, personal topics... Um, in a public place like church, it can be just a little bit uncomfortable, right? A little bit awkward, both for for those of you who are hearing it and uh, and for the one who is up here uh, speaking it. um, It can be a little bit uncomfortable, but what I want to ask us all this morning is to kind of push past that awkwardness because the subject uh, that we're looking at is one that we can't afford to ignore. Uh, The subject is sex, and it's talked about basically everywhere. Uh, Everywhere you look, your your streaming service has no problem pipelining their particular script on the subject of sex. And and the social media influences on your feed, they're broadcasting in high resolution uh, their take on the subject nonstop. And you can turn on the news or you pick up the paper and it's not going to take very long before it shows up there as well. It's, it's everywhere. It's all around us. And, uh, and the reality is that the script that our society is reading from when it comes to the subject of sex, it is an absolute disaster. Uh, it is leading to brokenness, to disappointment, to hurt, and all kinds of, uh, all kinds of damage. And so... And so why not talk about it here at a place like this? Because after all, sex is, is God's idea. He, he's the one who created it. And, and that means that he is the leading authority on how it works. And so we're going to take a little bit of time to listen to what God's word has to say about this subject. Now, the one thing that everyone pretty much seems to agree on is that uh, sex is a powerful thing. It's powerful. It's, it's sort of like a fire. And, and when a fire is contained uh, in a fireplace, in a setting, right, it's, it's good. It's, it's beautiful. It provides heat and warmth. It's a blessing. But you take that same fire and you go outside on a dry day and, and light it to, uh, to a forest and, and it sets loose a wildfire. It does all kinds of damage. And so the script that we're going to see this morning, the script of Scripture, um, is not about denying sexual desire. It's about directing it, directing it to the proper place. 
So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. I'm going to start reading the first three verses, and here's what it says. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Okay, let's stop there. Paul here is responding to some matters that the Corinthians had written to him about in a previous letter. And so they asked the question, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? That's the question he's addressing. And the answer he gives is a highly conditional yes. It is good to be single and celibate. Paul himself was single and celibate. And in that state, he was able to live fully on mission, undistracted, locked into spreading the gospel and carrying out God's kingdom purposes. He thought that was a really good option. So, so as long as your status is single and not currently married, the clear-cut call of God is to celibacy. Because God designed the giving of our bodies to coincide with the giving of our wedding vows at the same time. Marriage is the only setting that provides the permanence and the safety to be fully known, not only on a physical level, but on every level. And so when someone says, I want to know someone fully physically, but I'm not ready to know them fully on the other levels, then that doesn't build up, that doesn't give life, that's, that's life-taking, and it's not an option. And so, uh, and so if you're single here this morning, um, I'll address you for a moment. I fully understand that this script is as radically countercultural in our day and age today as it was when Paul wrote it to these Christ followers in Corinth. And it's as radically countercultural as it was 30 years ago when I was single. But so what? I do want to challenge you. Do not settle for less than God's best. Because the script that our culture is reading from, the one that, that tells you that you're an animal, that you have instinctual desires and you cannot be expected to control them, and so the best thing you can do is chase down every hedonistic pleasure that you can, that's empty, and it's a lie, and, and God wants so much more for you, so please don't, don't settle for less. So, so apart from marriage, God's message when it comes to the subject of sex is, is no. But the message here for those who are married, it's not no, it's a, it's a very clear go. It says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Let me just make sure, let me break down what that actually means. It's, it's, it's not a call for single people. All right, you guys who are single, go out and find a spouse and get married. That's, that's probably good advice, uh, but that's not what this passage is saying. This is a call for married husbands to have their wives and for married wives to have their husbands. And if you need me to spell it out, that means have sex with your spouse. Now, now, some of you, I saw you, you just took out your pen, 
and you underlined 1 Corinthians 7.2, that just became your life verse. <laughs> but uh, that was something that the Corinthians needed to hear about because they had this idea in their minds that celibacy was a mark of maturity, that you could gauge how spiritually mature you are um, and your walk with the Lord, it could, you could take it to the next level by dropping these physical distractions, these bodily distractions. And there were some there who started taking vows of celibacy while they were already married. All right, so, so maybe, can you just imagine how that conversation must have gone? You know, okay, honey, you know, we need to sit down. I need to tell you something. We need to have a conversation. I've decided to give up sex for Jesus. That's what was going down. And we're going to see next week, too. It doesn't stop here. They were even going so far as getting divorced uh, because they thought that was going to take them to a new level with the Lord. So if you think your church is messed up, right? Just, you know, 1 Corinthians, right? That place, that was a disaster. And God loves them. And he loves us right where we are. But Paul is responding to that. And he says, guys, stop. Don't do that. Celibacy, it's appropriate if you're single, but if you're married, it's not an option. And he spells the issue out in very practical, down-to-earth terms. The issue is sexual temptation. It's a fact of life. Every person, whether you're married or single, Every Christ follower wrestles through how do we navigate sexual desires in a God-honoring way. It's a big challenge. And, and if you're married, here's the thing. Part of God's provision to help your spouse navigate that is you. You see, there's, there's one God-ordained means through which your spouse can, can channel his or her God-given sexual passion. You. Now, of course, there are other options, but none of them are good. None of them are God-honoring, and, and none of them are in bounds for the Christ follower. So, so the first point is simply that the marriage bed matters. Marriage comes with a mandate to be sexually active with your mate. And, and sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is is just put the kids to bed a little early, light a couple candles, put on some music, lock the bedroom door, and make passionate, God-honoring love with your wife or with your husband. See, that, that would have been the preferred alternative to what was happening here in the church in Corinth. And we looked at it a couple weeks back. You might remember um, one spouse, when they shut the door to the marriage bed, they shut that down the other spouse started looking for open doors in other places and all the wrong places, and, and they ended up with prostitutes. And that wasn't a good option. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, there was no excuse for that behavior, for that option. There's never a justification for that kind of action. Uh, but what wasn't happening at home, that was a factor. It factored into that. So the marriage bed matters. And there's a second point that's also made here that we're going to go on and see, and that is that to, to, be, to make sure that it's mutual. The marriage bed is not made for, for one to enjoy 
and for the other to endure, there's a, there's a shared ownership to this relationship. And so let me read uh, verse 4. It says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And uh, we'll stop right there. And the idea is that there's, there's no space for selfishness in the marriage bed. And there's actually three times in this passage where Paul very intentionally compliments both wife with the husband and makes sure they're both mentioned together. He puts them both side by side on equal ground. And so it's not enough for him to just say, each man should have his own wife. He can't stop there. It's also that each woman should have her own husband as well. And it's not just that the husband has to fulfill his marital duty, to his wife, it's also that the wife has to fulfill hers to the husband. So one is never mentioned uh, without the other. And then this verse we just read, it clarifies that the wife's body and the husband's body, they're, they're not theirs alone. Because of marriage, they, there's a shared ownership. They belong to each other. And if you just stop and think about it, when you realize that this passage was written in the Roman Empire first century, male-dominated, where women were by and large treated like objects, you start to understand just how revolutionary the script of Scripture about this subject really is. About putting men and women on equal footing, husband and wife, to, to complement each other, not to compete with each other, to, to come alongside each other, not to be at war against each other. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So let's talk about that authority. Authority, first of all, it's it's voluntarily handed over. Um, and, and we're not talking about ownership. Ownership is different than authority. Um, and this authority, it's, it's not grabbed, it's given. And on a human level, uh, there is no greater giving that can happen between a man and a woman. This is the most precious privilege and it's one that's to be handled with the utmost of care. And so the wife, as it's being described in this passage, would, in, would invite her husband to have authority over her to take charge of her. And the husband, likewise, invites the wife to take charge of him. And each one is focused on the other. And the outcome is, is intimacy. And that word intimacy, if you break it down, it's into me see. There's, there's a longing, there's a depth of understanding. It's this expression of love that, that doesn't seem to, it's, it's not there to get from, it's there to give to. And, and that's God's design. And that's, that, that's why that level of intimacy, it's only able to be cultivated within the acceptance and the security of, of the marriage covenant. And so, for intimacy to happen, uh, we're called not only to have authority over our spouse, I think we're also called to be the authority on our spouse as well. 
so we can into them see, right? And, and that's not an easy assignment because you've probably noticed we are all kind of complicated people, right? We're, we're all different. And, and in marriage, that involves this ongoing investment of time and effort and energy that go into understanding to seeing your spouse at the heart level and connecting there. So... It's like there's a difference between crockpots and microwaves, right? Uh, they both do the same thing. They, they both heat up, but they do it in very different ways. So if you take some food and you throw it in the microwave, you shut the door, you turn it on, and a minute later it comes out steaming hot. It's ready to go. Uh, but crockpots, they take time to heat up. They, you start out early in the morning, you put the ingredients in, you turn it on, and it heats up all day long. Slowly, you check on it. You, you stir it a little bit during the day. You pay attention to it. And by dinner time, it's ready. Now, one's not right and the other's not wrong. They're just different. Welcome to marriage, right? So, so if that's your condition, you're in the married state, make it your quest. Your ultimate life goal is to understand your mate to see into them at a heart level. And that learning process, it never ends. It's just ongoing because what I found is that uh, the guy that Diane married is not the same guy, you know, almost 20, I think it's gonna be 29 years coming up. Don't, this is recorded, now I'm gonna be in trouble. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we change as we grow. Um, and we got to learn to appreciate those differences and, and not let those differences turn into sources of, of irritation and frustration and just let them stagnate there. And so let me give a, a word to the husband specifically. I want to challenge you uh, to set your wife up as the standard of beauty for your life. You know, there's so much images coming at us all day long, but do you know that there is no universal definition of beauty? Uh, there's no universal definition of beauty, and you can just look at art throughout the ages to understand that, right? Because Mona Lisa, she would never make the cut as a supermodel today, right? She just wouldn't. And, uh, you know, the standard of beauty today, it's kind of like anorexic, right? Um, Back in ancient India, there is this term, gajagamini, and that is the word that they would use to describe the ideal of beauty. And that word, when you literally translate it, it translates woman with the gait of an elephant. It's just it. There's different types, and the woman you marry to is your type. And... Uh, Make it that. Make your wife the standard of beauty for your life and, and learn to connect with her at the heart level. And unlike you, she may not turn on when the lights turn off, right? So figure that one out. Um, and here's just a quick word to the wives, which I know is probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done on a Sunday morning, um, is, uh, is address wives. But I think I'm safe to say this. Um, your husband can't read your mind. Women, you know, you guys have this incredible female intuition. And us guys, we, all we have is just this, we've got manly ignorance. That's it. And that means you are going to have to spell it out for us. Of course, we ought to know, right? We should know. 
but I'm sorry, we don't. <laughs> we, we just don't. Um, so, so if you want us to get something, don't drop hints. Don't drop a hint. You are going to have to drop a bomb. That's what it takes because we really are that dense. And to both husbands and wives, uh, here's what I'd say. Don't leave your spouse starved. Don't leave your spouse starved relationally, emotionally, spiritually, or sexually. Don't weaponize sex. And on the other hand, don't demand it. And turn your spouse into an objectification, something just there to feed your own selfish lusts. The husband and the wife are both responsible to keep the fires burning at home. And, and most of all, this is my request, or actually I'm going to probably demand this one, please, after you leave here this morning, do not go home and turn to your spouse and say, did you hear what the pastor said? Okay, do not go there. This is for you. If you want to start a conversation, that's great. But any of you husbands, if I hear about you going there, I am promising you, I will hunt you down and I'll take you out. <laughs> that, is, that is not the way to go about it. So the marriage bed, it, it matters. Uh, it's meant to be mutual. And there's a final point, which is that it's a place that's met to be met in often. Let me, keep, let me keep reading. It says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come again together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. All right, let's stop there. It says, um, Come together again. And in, in, in Christian marriage, the norm is to meet in the marriage bed freely and frequently. Now, that's going to play out very differently based on every relationship, based on all kinds of different factors, but, but that's the default. And here in this passage, the only legitimate exception that Paul can imagine is when both the husband and the wife, they mutually consent for a very limited time, for a very limited purpose, for a particular purpose. Um, in this case, that purpose is prayer. But, but even then, do you see how hesitant Paul is? He's, he's concerned about that. He says, make it short and then come back together again, lest Satan, Satan tempt you. And he adds this qualifier to the exception to make sure that they understand that it's a concession, not a command. He says, you can't take time apart. Take that time apart to pray if, you, if you're both agreed to it. But I'm not telling you you have to, only if you want to. The, the, the mandate is, is to meet in the marriage bed regularly. So cultivate that, that ongoing intimate connection with your spouse that starts way before the bed. Um, don't substitute watching TV or, or playing video games or, or working late or reading books. Don't even let time with the kids take precedence over making that time to connect relationally with your spouse. 
the very best thing you can do for your children is invest in your marriage. Passage actually says, uh, it makes this connection um, between uh, Satan's temptation and, and the time that they spend in the marriage bed. And so it's sort of like a, a protection against the temptations of Satan. And I don't know, that kind of like seems to me like a little bit of motivation. You know, it's hard to argue with that. Um, it's almost like, a, you know, spiritual warfare. And you can just imagine, honey, I'm going to meet you in the bedroom. It's, it's time to do a little bit of spiritual warfare, right? Um, but, uh, but seriously, um, sex is... We said at the beginning, it's a powerful thing, and it actually has a very redemptive power. It has the power to reset the marriage relationship. Because if you're married, you probably know this, that if you have any hope of being together intimately on an ongoing basis, you've got to deal with the issues that are pulling you apart that have pulled you apart. And that's a reality in every relationship. The, the grudges, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the anger that builds up. And, and here's the thing, sometimes the urge to merge provides the needed motivation to deal with those things, to resolve those things, to reconcile, to get back on the same page again. And I believe that's by design. I think God intentionally created us that way. And, Here's the qualifier. Do resolve those. Don't use sex to mask them, to bypass them, because those issues don't go away. They just build up and they get worse. There's a book uh, called Sacred Marriage. It's written by a guy named Gary Thomas. And he confesses this. He says, you bet I've swallowed arguments because I wanted something from my wife later that night. I don't particularly like the fact that what feels like a physical need is directing my spiritual attitudes, but I can learn to use that physical need for a spiritual benefit. There's some wisdom in that. The, the idea is that desire can push your life in the direction of character growth. So set your life up that way, not to bypass that growth, but to build it up. Paul, Paul concludes this discussion in verse 7. Um, he says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so he's speaking here as someone with the gift of celibacy. And he says, I wish everyone was like me. But the reality is that that's just not the case. Different people have different gifts. And, and singleness is a gift that God gives to some. And and what that means is that marriage is also a gift. And that means it's a blessing, not a burden that he gives to others. And if you are married, then that's the gift he's given to you. And here's the thing. There are realities that go along with whatever condition, whatever state we find ourselves in. And no matter what they are in every one of them, there's opportunities to live out that condition in a way that honors God. Just talk about a couple of them. You may be single, uh, but maybe you're, you're not like Paul. You're not single like Paul, right? You don't feel called to be single. You would prefer to be married. And you're in a state where just staying content is a daily challenge. That's, that's a challenging place to be. And the option that you would prefer may not be in, in sight in your life right now. 
But there is an opportunity as a single Christ follower to honor God, to commit yourself daily to him, to funnel your time, your passions, and your energy into advancing God's kingdom purposes and just dedicating yourself to him. Maybe you're married and you were someone who would just say, you're, you're sexually starving. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough place to be too. And that doesn't give you the option to just indulge in sexual immorality. Right? You know that, right? You do, though, have the opportunity to honor God, to commit yourself to him, to surround yourself with support, and to take the next step. Maybe you're married to a spouse who has a heart as hard as a rock. And you've tried so hard. You've done everything you can do to cultivate some kind of connection, but there's been no response. And it seems like there never is going to be a response. And again, that's probably not the place you'd want to be. But you know, you don't have the option to just jump ship and run off and go find your soulmate. But you do have an opportunity right where you are, to honor God, to commit yourself to him and to keep on taking the next step. Maybe you just are coming to terms with the fact that you've been reading the wrong script on this subject. And today is the day to switch the scripts. You know, you don't have to live in shame and regret. God is a good father and he's not keeping anything good from you. He is guiding you and leading you to what's best. And there's also some of you who may have just had some, some traumatic experiences and you've been taken advantage of, of in, in ways that it makes it almost impossible to even fathom that sex could be anything that God would ever bless. It just seems dirty to you. That's a, that's a challenging place to be. And I would just ask you, invite you to go to the Redeemer Bring your life before your heavenly father and let him to start to heal those wounds and rewrite the script. See, the Lord meets us right where we are. And and there is a distance in every one of our lives between the ideal, the way we would like things to be, and the reality of the way things are. But that real is the place where we honor him. That real is the place where he meets us and he sees us through every step of the way. He leads us to good places and he gives us the strength that we need to walk with him. And so for all of us, there is some kind of next step to take. And so wherever you are and whatever that is, I would encourage you to do the same. Commit yourself to God and seize that opportunity to honor him and follow his lead one step at a time.